Hello, and welcome to the Wicked Library. Today we're doing something special. Since we're in between seasons, we thought it would be a great time to share an episode of one of our favorite shows, The Grey Rooms. The Grey Rooms is a fantastic horror audio drama series that our good friend and frequent storyteller here at the Wicked Library, Graham Rowett, is involved in. And it is phenomenal. The Grey Rooms is a weekly horror anthology podcast set within an episodic narrative. Each week, the season's guest is forced to choose between two doors, seeking to unravel the mystery that trapped them in their endless torment. Behind each door, the Grey Room's guests face the extremes of the human condition. They love, live, weep, and die over and over and over again. While we're in production until spring, when we'll launch season 11, we're still going to keep things wicked with The Darkness In Between, our inter-season story series, our 2021 Women in Horror Month special, more episodes of The Private Collector, and more. But today, grab the edge of your seat and get ready to experience The Grey Rooms. If you enjoy this episode of the show, Sci-Fi.com calls Tales from the Crypt Meets Quantum Leap, you can find more info and over 100 episodes to binge at thegreyrooms.com. And subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is called Venus Flytrap and is the first episode of the current season, Season 3. Find the next episode at thegreyrooms.com and subscribe to hear more episodes from Season 3 and the first two seasons. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode contains mature language and situations. Listener discretion is advised. You wake, standing on the doorstep of a beautiful mansion. The front door stands open. You can hear voices, music, so many, many people. You step towards the door. You have to know what's inside. You are lost. You have no memory of how you got here. It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to The Grey Rooms.
Season 3, Episode 1. What are we? What makes us, us? Philosophers debate what I see as a very simple question. We are the choices we make. We'll be there soon, sir. Just sit back and let old Todd get you where you need to go. I didn't answer. I had no idea who the old man was or where I was going. I had no real memory beyond awakening to the gentle swaying of the carriage. Other men would have been afraid. I was not. Beyond the window rolled fields of golden wheat and purple lilacs. Their heady scent wafted through the fading sunlight and filled the cabin with countryside smells. I crossed my arms the shoulders of my well-tailored uniform tightening comfortably around me. I was calm. I didn't know why I was there, but I knew what kind of man I was. I trusted my choices. I knew that. And my name. My name was Beckett. We crested a hill and I saw it. The cobbled pathway led right up to the manor's front entrance. It was a massive, sprawling thing. Everywhere your eyes cared to look, there were eaves and gables, great sweeping window panes that glowered down on expansive grounds. Gardens stretched off around the side of the house. I could see a wooded thicket, a graveyard, a pond. The estate just seemed to stretch on and on off to the horizon. We crossed the distance to the house, and the carriage slowed to a stop. The driver hopped down from his perch, pretty spry for an old man, and pulled open the door with his one good hand. 
Todd stood in the open doorway, beaming up at me. He wore a well-tailored, modern suit. A groomed beard and mustache dominated his sallow face, and gray hair hid beneath a black newsy cap. His left hand rested on the door to the carriage, while his right hung awkwardly at his side. It was a prosthetic, made of obsidian stone, carved with intricate runes. Thank you. Todd, was it? Yes, sir. That's what they call me. <laughs> I'm the driver, a groundskeeper, bit of a jack of all trades round here. Beckett. Oh, yes, sir. I know. I looked up at the imposing front of the manor, still unafraid. The shadows now loomed large across the landscape as the sun began to set. If you know who I am, then... Do you know why I'm here? Because I... I apparently don't. Uh, yes, sir. I had a feeling that might be so. Come this way, we can get you all sorted out. I looked back at the carriage as he led me away. The horses looked wrong somehow, but in a way I couldn't place, like shadows stripped from their manes. I strode across the gravel drive and he led me up the short set of stairs to the front porch. He raised his right hand, black stone, and rapped twice on the massive oak door. After a brief pause, the door swung wide, revealing a grand foyer a sweeping staircase leading up to the second floor, and a man in a great black coat. His wild hair fell around his face in long curls, and his burning eyes stared as if they could see into my very core. His mouth was curled back into an expansive grin, and he winked like we were sharing a secret. I thought at first he might be a prankster, but I looked again and sought for what it was. Madness. Welcome to Ash Manor, Mr. Beckett. Welcome to the Grey Rooms. Sir, this here is the warden. Uh, a games warden for the manor. Uh, keeps us fed and on our toes. Yes, yes, he surely does. I extended a hand to the man, but he just stood there, staring. I glanced at Todd, who merely shrugged. I let my arm drop. Good to meet you, Warden. Todd here says you might be able to explain why I'm here. Oh, yes. We expect big things from you. The Warden turned that unsettling gaze on Todd, who visibly winced. See to the horses. Won't you, Todd? We'll speak later. Yes, sir, right away. Good luck, Mr. Beckett. Oh, don't worry, it gets easier as you go. <laughs> as Todd walked away into the gathering darkness, the warden moved aside. Instinctively, I stepped inside the manor. 
glancing back over my shoulder. It might have been my imagination, but I thought I saw one of the horses staring after me. Its eyes were ablaze with the light of the setting sun. The heavy door swung closed, sealing me in. The floors were marble, the stairs a richly polished mahogany, and above us, a chandelier danced with light. Through the doorways on either side, I could see what looked like a dining hall and a parlor. It's so good to see you. Finally here. Please, follow me. I followed. The strange man led me through the parlor, past a swinging servant's door into a long hallway. Within moments, I lost all sense of direction. The passage that I thought led to the back of the house split into three lengthy corridors. The turn we took there should have brought us right back to the front of the house where we started. Instead, we stepped onto a small balcony at the midpoint of a circular staircase. We ascended the steps into a tower that I hadn't seen from the manor's exterior. Other men would have been afraid. I was merely curious. Interesting place you have here, Warden. The manor helps us to do our work. Ever-changing, ever-watching. Always surprising. We stepped out into a hallway on the upper story and stopped. A banister ran the length of the hallway. The banister in turn separated the walkway from a large ballroom. The ceiling above the ballroom was made of glass panels, which let in the light of an impossible sky. Impressive, isn't it? Beyond the glass, great fluffy white clouds swirled against a backdrop of greenish-gray, and out at the edge of my vision, I could see what looked like steel superstructures hanging in orbit. Below us, the lacquer flooring of the ballroom shone with polish as a few dozen people walked and danced and spoke amongst themselves. Candles flickered in holders as staff filled flutes with dark red wine. None of this should have been possible. None of it could have fit into the building I entered only moments ago. How is this possible? Management has created the Grey Rooms for a very special purpose, Mr. Beckett. You are central to this plan. Everything here is for you. You're special. So very, very special. Special? How? Why am I here? Instead of answering me, he turned out towards the crowd. Everyone! Everyone! Your attention, please! Hey! Listen up! 
or I'll gut you where you stand. Thank you, and good evening, management, contributors to the project, investors, and guests. May I present Mr. Beckett. I look down at the audience, a sea of people wearing every kind of tailored suit and flowing dress and elaborate costume, all of them wearing featureless white masks. The mask completely covered their faces, and their eye holes were shadowed, opaque. Dozens of faceless mannequins applauded my arrival at a place I didn't understand, and for a purpose I didn't yet know. Mr. Beckett has newly arrived to the manor and has yet to enter his first room. With approval from management, I will escort him there now. As one, every ghostly face turned towards the figure in the center of the room. He was a huge, barrel-chested man with an impeccable coal-black suit. Across his chest, he wore a crimson sash, bloody in the flickering candlelight of the ballroom. Slowly, with predatory steps, he stalked forward. Every eye in the room was fixed upon him. I couldn't see behind the mask, but I could feel his gaze as if stones were pressing against my chest. My nerve did not give way, I'm pleased to report. I stared right back at him. A long moment passed. A sort of potent tension hung in the air, as if the manor itself was awaiting his response. I felt the hairs on my arms stand up. I felt something I was sure I'd never felt before. But then, almost imperceptibly, he nodded. He turned on his heel and walked back towards the guest he'd left behind. Management is pleased. Wish Mr. Beckett luck, everyone. The guests seemed to have forgotten we were there, as no response came, nor did the warden await one. He turned and began to walk down the hallway, his hand trailing along the banister as he did. On our right, as he walked, were doors, row after row of doors. Every door we passed was strange somehow, out of place. One old and industrial, rusting, another like a farmhouse door. A boring gray apartment block door sat right behind a bright red emergency door, with huge claw marks carved into its surface. Near the end of the hall we stopped. The warden turned to look at me, those mad eyes staring deep into mine. I stared back, refusing to be intimidated. During your time here, you will be allowed the chance to relax. To enjoy what the manor has to offer. As you can see, it is a fine and beautiful place. He gestured out into the ballroom. But ultimately, the reason you're here, your 
purpose. You have to make a choice. We are the choices we make. Here, we have a door. It leads to a room. Every room tells a story, don't you think, Mr. Beckett? I nodded, confused. The door he was gesturing to looked like any ordinary gray door you might find in a single-family suburban home. This room's story is one of tragedy and loss. Of a woman marking the loss of her mother and seeking a better tomorrow. He gestured again to the door beside it. This door looked very out of place in the fine manor hallway. It was an airlock like one you'd see fitted to the exterior of a space station. This room's tale is also one of sorrow. In the quest for knowledge, a group of explorers pushes the limits of the human experience, and the limits push back. At the back of my mind, I noted the archaic designs of the seal fitting marked it as circa 2300, a design from the long-abandoned soul system. I shook my head, tried to focus. Choose. I'm sorry, what am I choosing? Choose a door and step through. Why? Because if you don't, I'll kill you. I knew he would do it. I could see it in his eyes. Other men would have been afraid. There's no need for violence, Warden. I'm simply asking why I've been brought here to do this. Why do I need to choose a door? It seems like a reasonable question. His eyes bulged from his head. I could see his hands clench, tense. Flecks of spittle appeared at the corner of his mouth. I still wasn't afraid, but... I took a step back. I told myself it was to gain a tactical advantage if he were to attack me, but he didn't. The feud passed, quickly as it had come. He shook his head. <clears throat> it, it is, it is a reasonable question, but not one I should answer. There are other people that work here at the manor. If you choose a room and go inside, I'll send someone to talk to you. They can explain. How does that sound? I nodded. Thank you, Warden. I hope you appreciate the strange circumstances I find myself in. I caught the flicker of a smile. There and gone from his face like a passing shadow. I do. I do appreciate it. Now... Which will it be? I stepped closer, examining the doors. I could see that both had brass plates set to the side, where you'd see the room numbers at a high-end hotel. These, though, had merely words etched into metal. The apartment doors read, The Last Word. The airlocks read, Venus flytrap. I turned back to the warden. Venus flytrap. The airlock. Decisive. 
I like it. He gestured, and I stepped toward the airlock door. At my approach, it opened. I almost smiled at the antique sound of an old-style airlock cycling. Within, I could see a cruise lounge like you'd see on one of those older model stations. White carbon filter walls, gray furniture with everything bolted to the deck plates. There was another airlock door on the far wall. I stepped inside, looking around. There was no one else there. I turned back towards my host, who stood on the far side of the doorway. Should I just wait then, or... Yes, Mr. Beckett. Now that you've made your choice, just wait. I'll see you again very soon. The door sealed closed. The last I saw of him as it shut was his grim smile. For a long moment, I just stood there. Other than being a bit dusty, the air a bit dry, the room seemed unremarkable. I noticed there was a porthole in the far wall and strode towards it. Beyond the porthole was the vast, black emptiness of space. It was comforting, I realized, but not why. I had no context for why this vast, inky ocean made me feel at home. I noticed a sound then, in the quiet of the lounge, a strange, foreboding sensation that traveled up my spine. I turned back into the room looking for its source. There was nothing there. But there, around the edges of the airlock on the far wall, I could see a light, unsteady, flickering as if someone was shining a flashlight into the cracks. The noise was louder and I realized it was coming from the far side of the door. Hello? I called out. No response beyond the noise itself. I knew it in my heart. It was not other men. Hello? Who? Who's there? I started as I heard my own voice. The strange location, the noise, the crowd, the warden. It all caught up to me. Answer me, damn you. Who's there? I was not like other men. I would not give in to fear. The door opened. And then, just like any other man, I was afraid.
atmospheric conditions reached a level five. My eyes shot open as the alert blared through the station. I jumped out of bed heading for level one and squinting at the lights as they flashed. The system had been on the fritz for the past couple of days, and this was probably another false alarm. In the control room, I could see Katja at one of the terminals, tired as I was. Her brow furrowed as she stared at the indicators on screen. I waved my hand to get her attention, trying to see if it was anything serious. She turned, shaking her head, gestured 404, error. She turned back to the terminal, typing furiously. Finally, the lights came back on, and the alarm fell silent. Katya glared at the console, rubbing the back of her neck. Oh, whoever programmed these things will have hell to pay when we are back Earthside. I pulled out a bottle of painkillers and passed her one. Took one myself. Where are the others? I got to check in from Lee Wei on my terminal. Mac and Raj are probably wrapped up in their work. Hey, as long as we're up, let's get the weekly report done. I need to get back to my research, and this was a bad start to the day. Nodding absently, I went over to my console to compile last cycle's data. Okay, let's see here. Atmospheric analysis is ongoing. We can let that run for another couple of days. Lee Wei is doing his routine inspections. Structural integrity of the station, life support systems. You know. Raj has to harvest the latest round of crops from the hydroponics lab, and Mac is, well, doing Mac things. Here, listen to this. Primary specimen progress report number three. Dr. McKenna recording. I have continued to find viral structures embedded in the brain tissue after VAE2. Rapid mutations have been observed after extended atmospheric exposure during VAE3. My latest brain scans now show viral accumulation in the occipital lobe and prefrontal cortex. An interconnected protein lattice appears to have formed, uh, connecting them. Additional exposure to Venusian atmosphere appears to stimulate the tissue further. Continued phenotypic changes have also been observed. Irises now alternate between two colors and patterns. Behavioral changes include an increased interest in surroundings and attempts to exit the lab. As yet, I have detected no cellular damage from the sulfuric acid in the Venetian atmosphere. My next step will be to re-examine tissue samples to determine the cause of the accelerated mutation. <laughs> Interesting. Am I the only one who dislikes that thing? It's a cat, John. Deal with it. Speaking of Makina, why don't you go check on her and Roj? I'll finish up here. Aye, aye. I saluted, but she had already turned away. I walked over to the ladder. After briefly checking the crew quarters, I went down to level three to check their labs. The experiments my colleagues were running required isolation from the rest of the station. Mac! Raj! You around? My calls went unanswered. 
As I entered the lab proper, I noticed it out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> the cat. Motionless, it stared at me from one of the lab benches. The white gold color of its fur made it look like a marble statue. For the first time, I was alone with Makina's experiment. I hated that thing, and I thought it could tell. Hey, Dee, where's your keeper? Mac had called it extremely intelligent, but all it did was glare at me. I kept my distance and approached the hydroponics lab. <laughs> Guys, you in there? Distracted, I felt movement behind me. The cat had silently followed me to the door, and I jumped, surprised. The thing sat staring up at me. I had to admit that its eyes were fascinating. A brilliant amber gold. Despite myself, I was transfixed. Bright spots spread across the iris of both eyes. Colors swirled, and I was reminded of spiral galaxies turning in space, billions of years passing with little change. Its eyes turned into glowing violet orbs. A voice broke my reverie, and I looked away. Dionea is just curious about you. Makina must have entered the room while I was distracted. She was in her chair using one of the microscopes. I was surprised that I hadn't heard her come in. The cat, its eyes back to their original color, walked over to her and curled up at her feet. I shuddered. Like I said, I hate that thing. Hey, I know I've said this before, but the name you picked is really disconcerting. Why a carnivorous plant? Dionea Muscipula. She named herself. Claims her name fits the situation. We're trapped here with her, after all. Uh, I hope I don't need to be concerned about you having conversations with a cat. Or thinking of the crew as flies. Right. Cat, you wanted me to ask what happened this morning. We didn't hear from you during the alarm. Rajesh was to inform Katya of our status. He went to his desk some time ago. I was, and am, in the middle of an experiment. I wondered to myself which was stranger, Makina or the creature in her care. I spared a glance for the cat, which tracked my movement across the room. My skin prickled, and I picked up my pace. Just down the hall, I opened the door to Raj's lab. Within, rows and rows of planters filled the room. Raj! Buddy! His office door didn't budge when I went to open it. I felt anxious, but I couldn't place why. Just a feeling that had been growing inside me since the alarm had woken me up. Out of frustration, I kicked at it. To my surprise, it slid open to reveal an empty office in disarray. With a raised eyebrow, I walked over to the desk. The terminal was cracked, flickering on and off. There was no sign of Rajesh. Katya for John. Any luck with Makina and Raj? Max in her lab, but Raj is nowhere to be found. He's not responding to comms, and the terminal in his office is wrecked. I don't know what's happening, but prep a transmission to HQ. We need to report this. How could we lose a person? The station is not that big. Ugh, whatever, I'm on it. 
I'll let you know if I see him on my end. You keep looking. Before I had the chance to return to my search, a voice spoke up on the comms again. Away for Katya and John. Guys, we have a problem. Katya's not going to be able to send that transmission. The storm damaged our long-range systems. I'm going to take an acid walk to repair the panel. But, uh, I could use an extra pair of hands. <sighs> Understood. I'll be there as soon as I can. I left Raj's office and passed back through Mac's lab. She was still where I'd left her. Makina, if you see Raj, tell him to check in, okay? Oh, rest assured, I will do just that. I headed for the airlock, distracted and with that anxiety still bubbling within me. It took me a moment to notice that the cat had joined me in the decontamination chamber. My hair stood on end, and I took a long step away. D, you're not getting out. Go back to Mac. I reopened the door to the labs and waved my hands, shooing it away. Go on, get! The cat just stared at me. Its eyes flickered back to Violet. For a moment, I could have sworn its expression twisted into a wide smile, razor-sharp teeth peeking through its blood-red gums. I blinked in confusion. By the time I looked back, it was already out of the airlock, walking away. I shook my head. Unsure if I'd seen anything at all. Thankfully, the walk to the engineering bay was quiet. Lee Wei looked up from a monitor as I entered. By way of greeting, he pointed to the reinforced window on the opposite wall. Outside, the thick yellow atmosphere of Venus swirled past the viewport. I realized he was pointing to the communication array inside the station's outer enclosure. A panel on the bottom of the antenna had cracks all across its surface. Sulfuric acid bypassed our corrosion shielding. I assume debris from the storm must have caused the damage. The entire panel needs to be replaced. As he spoke, he prepped his suit and gathered his tools. I'll need you to maneuver the arm from here. Let's get me into this suit. The protective suit we use on acid walks is so cumbersome we need help putting it on. Together we sprayed the suit with insulation, a film of neutralizing material. The moment Li Wei stepped outside, the clock would start. The spray only lasted about 15 minutes before the Venusian atmosphere seeped through. Everything looks good. You ready? He gave me a thumbs up. I helped him waddle over to the airlock. The door shut, and I prepared the robotic arm as I waited for him to get outside. He turned to look at me through the window. I mirrored his thumbs up and gave him a half-hearted smile. Moving cautiously, Li Wei headed for the antenna. What is it? Initial damage is radiating out from four lines near the bottom of the structure. No idea what kind of debris would cause this. Maybe it was the cat? I don't trust anything that can sit outside in that acid bath without a suit. The 
had gone. Makeda said that time they got outside was a planned experiment. I think your apprehension is clouding your judgment. After the broken panel was uncoupled, I used the external arm to move it to storage. Sweat beaded on my forehead as I carefully maneuvered the panel below to level 5. Leeway sprayed the open area down with temporary insulation foam to avoid further corrosion until the new shielding was in place. I searched the database for the replacement panel. We were approaching his time limit, so I worked as fast as I could. My stomach dropped as I read the string of text that appeared on the screen. Retrieving shield panel from storage crate A24. Error. Unable to retrieve item. John for Leeway, you there? I walked up to the window and waved to my colleague. Yes. Ready. Hold up. Abort mission. Return to the station. I repeat, abort mission. I watched as Leeway waved both arms in my direction but nothing else came through on the comms. I gestured with the robot arm, trying to get him to understand. He finally started walking back to the airlock, and I breathed a sigh of relief. John for Katya. I'm here. Lee Wei is coming back in. He couldn't finish the repair. Database is saying the replacement panels we need are missing from storage. Can you check and see if there's a malfunction? They can't have just disappeared. One problem after another. Okay, I'm on it. You two figure something out in the short term. We'll try. When Li Wei reached the airlock, I opened the outer door. He disappeared from view in a swirl of yellow gas. I blinked. At his feet, I could see two small glowing orbs. Violet. Before I had the chance to react, lightning struck and forced me to blink. For a brief moment, my vision swam and I rubbed my eyes. The orbs were no longer there. I heard a scraping noise from inside, followed by a loud thump. I frowned, but waited patiently until the cycle was complete. As I opened the inner door, I saw him face down on the floor, not moving. Li Wei? I ran over and turned him face up. Careful to make sure I only touched him with my gloves. His suit was intact, as far as I could tell, so I dragged him inside. John from Akina. Medical assistance needed at engineering. Mac, you there? John for Katya. You there? This is an emergency. Her signal cut off suddenly. Frightened now, my anxiety taking form, I propped Li Wei against the terminal by the airlock. Within the suit, his eyes were closed, but nothing seemed wrong. I tried again to wake him, but I was out of my depth. Nothing for it. I left him behind and headed down to level 3 to find Makina. As I went through the decontamination process, sweat trickled down my back. I tried again to stay calm. Mac? Hello? 
Almost in answer to my voice, the main lights cut out. The alarms blared overhead. Warning. Extreme atmospheric conditions. Breach on level 5. In the stark lighting of the system alarm, I found Makina oddly hunched over one of the microscopes. Tears pooled in my eyes as her face came into view. It was a gruesome sight. Her throat was ripped open. Thin cuts riddled her body. The blood congealed on the wounds. A dark pool had formed around her chair and bench. My head spun, and I found myself running. The alert had flung the airlock doors wide, and I ran right through. As I climbed, I again tried to tamp down my panic. Back to level four, to check on Li Wei. If he woke up, we could both go find Katja and Rajesh together. When I got back to the engineering bay, I was out of breath. Between flashes, I saw more blood. A trail led from the airlock straight to Li Wei. Confused, I leaned down just as the lights pulsed. I stumbled back. Four short, deep cuts were on his legs. His throat was ripped open like Makina's. The acid on his suit had seeped through the cuts, making skin and blood bubble around the wounds. The back of his head was smashed, his brain a mess of flesh. The lights made him look like a grotesque jack-o'-lantern. I scrambled back on all fours and huddled away from the corpse. I was reaching my breaking point. I clutched my knees to my chest and screamed. The alarm drowned out the sound. No one heard me. My throat hurt from screaming as I wiped the drool and snot off of my face. I thought of Katya and got to my feet. Movement caught my eye. A slinking shadow that rippled down the hall. It was Dianea. The cat. Behind her trailed small wisps of yellow mist. Despite myself, I was glad to see anything else alive. I gave her a wave, but she just sat there, staring straight into my eyes as if she knew what I was going through. Without breaking eye contact, she leaned down to lap up some of the blood now drying on the deck plating. I took a step towards it, and the smell of rotten eggs filled my nostrils. I coughed loudly. <laughs> she must have come up from level five. The breach was real this time. Tears began to stream down my face. My heartbeat pounded in my chest. I'd have to seal off level five from the command deck, stop the gas from spreading to the whole station. Sweat streamed down my face, and I was breathing heavily. My vision was tinged yellow, and I itched all over. I turned away from Dionea and started climbing, but the ladder shook. Something was climbing up from the breach level below me. I looked down and saw two orbs glowing through the gas cloud that had accumulated beneath me. Eyes. Feverishly, I redoubled my efforts and climbed up to level two, sealing all the hatches behind me. As I passed by the door to my quarters, I stopped short. A shape under my covers. My breath caught as I feared the worst, but the sheets moved, and Katya's face peered out from underneath. She smiled at me. 
I smiled back and tried to talk to her, but my voice was drowned out by the alarm. I felt a spark of hope. Suddenly, somehow, Dionea rose up from behind her and placed a paw on Katya's head. It looked directly at me as its claws extended and dug into her skull, drawing blood. I rushed forward, but the room spun and my knees buckled. The cat looked down at me, impassive, as I looked deep into its bright eyes. As if a veil was lifted, the scene before me shifted. The air blurred and warped as the temperature rose sharply. The sheets on the bed were sopping wet, stained with blood. The mangled remains of my friend lay before me. Katya had been dead long before I got here. Between flashes of light, I could see her mangled face, a horrifying visage of pain and terror. The long-missing Rajesh stood above my dead crewmate, clothes ripped, bloodstained, with a wild look on his face. He held a knife and was in the middle of slicing up Katya's abdomen. He turned to look at me, and his expression was contorted into an unnatural open-mouthed smile. His mouth gaped open, jaw tendons sliced ragged. His eyes had been carved out, and his skin was slashed and cut, a latticework of pain. I was frozen. This couldn't be real. This had to be a nightmare. The smell that surrounded him made me gag. Blood poured from his lips and down his chin as he tried to move his mouth. Whatever he was trying to say, the never-ending alarms drowned him out. The cat moved between us, staring up at Rajesh. Slowly, it turned its head towards me. The knife dropped from Raj's hand and clattered to the floor. He jerked like a marionette with its strings cut. Then, slowly, he slumped to the floor. Bloody foam at his mouth as he twitched. Dying. Dead. I took a step forward, trying to get to Katya, trying to get away from Raj. My arms reached out, but my body failed me. I fell, consciousness wavering as the room spun around me. My lungs were on fire, and when I coughed, I could taste blood on my lips. <laughs> Languid, lazy, that yellow mist flowed into the room. I saw it coming as it enveloped me, and my skin began to boil. My eyes burned as I wept tears of blood. My vision started to fade but I could just make out dense clouds of gas circled around Dionea. She padded towards me. As I lay there, dying, surrounded by the atmosphere of Venus, I saw it one last time, the light that plunged my world to shadow. My last sight was the violet glow of her eyes, piercing my very soul. Hi, 
Hi, this is Jason Wilson, creator of The Grey Rooms. Thank you for listening to our Season 3 premiere episode. We hope you'll join us each week for Beckett's journey of discovery and dread. And you're also welcome to visit our previous guests and start your adventure with Season 1. Venus Flytrap, written by Jason Porras, with performances by Graham Rowett as John, Yuan Chung as Li Wei, Anjali Bamani as Makina, Tanya Milojevic as Katya, and Michael Zenke as the station system. Welcome to Ash Manor was written by Michael Zenke, featuring performances by Eddie Cooper as Beckett, Alastair Mackey as Todd, and yours truly, Jason Wilson, as the warden. <laughs> Musical compositions by J.M. Scherf. Episode artwork, web development, and creative direction by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon management by Brooks Bigley. Videography is by the great Hale Scherf. Audio engineering and sound design is by me, Jason Wilson. <laughs>